Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? Uh, you may have noticed there was a little bit of a hiatus in our podcasting, and we're very sorry for that, but we are getting back on schedule now, and we are thrilled to be joined today uh, by Brett Drake. He is a professor at Washington University, St. Louis. Um, he uh, researches matters of child welfare with a focus on early intervention cases of child neglect, as well as the connections between socio-environmental conditions and child neglect. So we actually have him on today to discuss a great, relatively new paper came out this spring uh, that he is the lead researcher on. It's called Racial Ethnic Differences in Child Protective Services, Reporting, Substantiation, and Placement. And it goes on from there. Um, the title does. And uh, Brett, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to uh, get really into the weeds here, but try to translate some of this academic language for the general public. So thanks again. Well, thank you. It's it's uh, quite a privilege to be able to to be on your podcast. Thank you. So the first question that we wanted to ask you is just sort of looking at the kind of broader conversation about child welfare out there. Uh, it is hard to throw a rock without hitting someone who is talking about racial disparities in child welfare. Um, so can you describe kind of what the project was with this paper and what you're trying to find out about racial disparities in child welfare? Well, as you stated, there is a, a commonly repeated idea that uh, racism is powerfully operative at every stage of the child protective services system. So you might think about the child protective system like it's a building. So one question is sort of, are races treated fairly as they enter the building? In other words, are black and white children being fairly brought into the system, or perhaps are Black children being over-reported and over-investigated? Right now, most people believe that Black children are being over-reported and over-investigated. That is, most people in policy and in the general public. I, I don't think that's true of the scientific community that might generally have a rather different view. The other question is, once inside the building, are they treated differently? In other words, are black children more likely to be substantiated than white children? Are they more likely to be placed in foster care than white children? So they're actually two very different questions. Do they come to the attention of child welfare at similar rates? Question one. And then question two is, once they contact child welfare, do they have similar or different outcomes? And right now, most people believe that black children contact the child welfare system at higher rates than they should, and that they are substantiated and placed in foster care more than they should be. And so we ran the numbers to see if that's true. And and Brett, before we even get to uh, the the answers that you found, why is this even the first question? What why why is why is the comparison around racial groups even the the first most important thing? Aren't we? actually interested in the the welfare of all kids period why is why is the comparison elevated so prominently this dialogue is being driven from a lot of different directions um, some of it is being driven by science some of it is being driven by uh, for example legal scholars who are very concerned about our nation's history of treating black children and black people in general unfairly and they're concerned that that may be persisting in the current behavior of the child welfare system. 
So let's talk about kind of what the project was with this paper. Um, you're comparing uh, the disparities in the child welfare system that you just mentioned with other disparities um, and trying to figure out whether there's a disparity between those disparities. Um, so tell us about the other kind of contextual risk factors that you are looking at when it comes to uh, different races of children. So yeah, in terms of sort of the front door question, which is are black and white children entering the child welfare system at rates that are appropriate? Um, that's a tough question. And the reason is no one on the planet knows how many children are actually maltreated. There is simply no way to capture every case of maltreatment in any kind of data set. So what we'd like to know is this many children were actually maltreated and this many children were reported to child protection and see if it's fair by race. But we just don't know how many children are actually maltreated. So we tried to do the next best thing. What we said is, how much more risk do black children face compared to white children? Not in child protection or child abuse, but just in general. And then we asked, how much more harm do black children experience in our society than white children? So we checked a bunch of risk factors between black and white children. And we found that generally black children are at two to three times higher risk of things like poverty, very important. Um, they have uh, higher rates of single parent households, higher teen birth rates, higher rates of not being high school graduates. All of these things are associated with maltreatment. They don't necessarily cause maltreatment, but they're associated with maltreatment. So you're seeing black children in our society have higher risk factors that rate two or three times what white children experience. So the next question is, how much more are black children reported to child protective services than white children? If they were being unfairly overreported at a rate higher than their risk suggests, you would expect the child protective services report rate to be higher than that two to three times rate. In fact, it's lower. Black children are reported about 1.8 times as often as white children to child protective services. And this kind of flips the narrative because the question when you look at these data does not become why are black children coming to the attention of child welfare too much? The question becomes why are they coming to the attention of child welfare at a rate lower than their risk would suggest? But those who hear those factors, because one would then say, well, reasonably, if they're higher risk for poverty, higher risk for um, for living in single parent households, um, higher teen pregnancy, all those things, then why would one assume it's structural racism or bias as well, the reason for being reported? At yeah, I, I think the reason is people see the number that black children reported almost twice as much as white children, about 80% more often. And they, they say, wow, that's a big difference. And then they start saying, what could be causing that difference? Well, we know that the United States has a long history of racism that, as I said, poverty, for example, is very unevenly distributed in our society. Um, and they begin to say, well, maybe they're coming to the attention of child welfare 
80% more often because of racism. And I don't think they look beyond that. I think they just see that 80% increased risk and sort of that's as far as, as they get in their reasoning. I don't think they take the next step and say, well, is that reasonable? I mean, a simple example will help with this. Let's say that you run a lead abatement facility and your job is to keep kids from ingesting lead. And you look around and you say, well, look, I'm serving 1% of the white kids in my area and I'm serving 1% of the black kids in my area. You might say, that's fair, but you'd be terribly wrong because in America, black children have far higher rates of exposure to lead than white children. You shouldn't be aiming for even numbers of reports. You should be aiming for reports that meet the need. So if you know that your black children in your community have a higher exposure to lead, you better be serving proportionately more black children than white children. Otherwise, it's just not fair. And I think that's a little bit more sophisticated thinking. And I think a lot of people just kind of haven't gotten there yet. Although it is interesting, and Brett, I know you've made this point, um, when people talk about, and we have talked on this podcast about the difference between equity and equality, when you're talking about kind of the need for services to serve kids in these ways, depending on their needs. Um, that actually sounds much more like what people are talking about when they say they want equity, but they have rejected this argument. I mean, you're not saying like, let's spread this, uh, you know, these services or this intervention across the population evenly, no matter what. You're saying, look, you know, these are the kids who need it most, we should be giving it to them the most. Um, but why do they, why do they sort of not see this as a kind of equity argument? I don't know. My, my assumption is simply that people take a long time to think things through. And I think we're just in the early days of this process and they just haven't, they ha maybe they haven't had time to sit with it. Maybe they haven't had time to look at the data. See, my job is to, to teach students and to sit in front of a computer screen all day looking at the most recent data. So for me, this is very easy to see. I don't know if this is as easy to see for a policymaker who has a two hour meeting on this when someone runs in and says, oh my goodness, we're bringing in black children proportionately 80% more often than white children and everyone panics. I mean, I, I can see people making that mistake, but that's why we wrote the article. Oh, by the way, I just said we, this is very important. There were 13 authors on this article. So I don't want to be taking credit for this like it's my work. I was part of a large multi-university team. We had people from Berkeley, UNC, from Penn, from Illinois. So, so this is not the Brett show. I, I, I wanted to remind everyone that there's a very good scientist working on this paper. Yeah. Also, just briefly tell us about your results, um, kind of the once the kids get in the building, um, what you found there. Right. So staying with the front door for one second, we not only looked at risks, we also looked at harms. We looked at things like very low birth weight, preterm, infant mortality, fatal reports to Child Protective Services. And again, those things are consistently higher than the child report uh, difference. So again, not only are black kids experiencing more risk relative to child report rate, they're also experiencing more concrete harm. So that's kind of the front door. Once you're in the building, there are really two main 
checkpoints you can look at easily about what's going on with kids. And one is whether they're substantiated or not. And one of them is whether they are placed in foster care or not. So we looked at those problems two ways. We looked at it the, 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 the simple, easy way, which is just to look at percentages straight up. And then we did what's called a multivariate analysis, where we controlled for other factors like count, same race, county income, um, gender, uh, report source, things like that. And what we found is that for the past several years, black children are actually less likely to be substantiated than white children, either straight up with the percentages. It's like 17 to 15% uh, with whites being more substantiated. And foster care placement, again, blacks are a little less likely to be placed in foster care when you look at the numbers straight up. When you add in the multivariate equation, they're still there. Um, black children are less likely to be substantiated than white children, either straight up or with statistical controls. And they are less likely to go into foster care than white children, even straight up, either straight up or using statistical controls. Now, what we're talking about here is once you're in the door, right? We're seeing yep. once you're in the door, what are your odds? And black children are less likely to be substantiated or go to foster care once they're in the door, which is kind of the opposite of what the narrative is. Again, to dig down a little bit deeper, you noticed that there was actually a change at a, in a certain year um, uh, about the, this data and where, where black children became sort of less likely. I was wondering if you can kind of talk about the years that you did this study and kind of where you noticed a, a shift. Right. So. We were very lucky because the federal government keeps a record of all child maltreatment calls to the states. Now, these data are massively scrubbed and completely de-identified. So we never had access to anything like confidential information. But any researcher can get these data from the federal, go from the federal government. So we were able to look at all child maltreatment reports. Um, there are some caveats to that because some states didn't have data for some years. But we were able to look at child maltreatment reports from 2005 to 2019. And what we found is that in the raw numbers, there was never a huge difference. You're talking ones and twos percentages. But prior to about 2013-ish, black children were a little more likely to be substantiated than white children in the straight up numbers and a little more likely to go to foster care in the straight up numbers. Since about 2011, 2012, 2013, it flipped a little bit. Now we're talking about small differences here. These are not large differences, but you're absolutely right. In the early 2010s, there was an inflection point where black children moved from being a little more reported in straight up numbers, sorry, a little more substantiated and a little more placed in the straight up numbers to less. Now the multivariate numbers, there's less of that. The, the differences are a little bigger and the black children are more consistently substantiated less and placed less. So then what are the interventions for those who are proposing that bias is at the heart of all of these numbers? What is it so, that they propose as, propose as solutions? That's a very interesting question and there's a very broad spectrum. So there are a number of organizations that are interested in doing things like um, uh, training of workers. They believe that if workers are biased, a good way to fix this would be to give workers 
racial sensitivity training and try and reduce that bias that they believe is in the workers. Other approaches involve doing things like using computerized structured decision-making models as a way of taking some of the decisions out of people's hands and putting them into the hands of an, an objectively fair algorithm, if you're going to accept the term objectively fair algorithm. Um, and so those are a couple of approaches people are taking uh, to try and mitigate this. But what's interesting is, in, and you know, you were very generous in saying that, you know, maybe people don't, they, they haven't analyzed the data as, as much. Um, but do you think what's partly going on here is a, is a, a, a fear of blaming the victim that if they were to actually look at some of the risk factors that you outlined earlier around single parenthood, around poverty, around violence, that entertaining those as the real reasons that you've got such disproportionate rates would then, um, in the eyes of these folks, risk saying, well, you know, the these Black families, they're the ones to blame for creating these conditions for kids. I think people are generally good, and I think people don't want to cause harm, and I think people are very shy of being seen as saying, oh, those people, they're the problem. So that's a, a kind and gentle thing to do, but on the other hand, it also blinds you to the problem. This isn't the first time this has happened. In the 1970s and 80s, it was very unpopular to say that child maltreatment was associated with poverty because it was seen as blaming poor people, and like you said, blaming the victim. And the result of this was we did a huge amount of damage. We, instead of giving people the sorts of services that poor people could obviously benefit from and desperately need, we focused more on things like counseling things that we would imagine that middle-class people would need because we refuse to acknowledge that poverty made parenting harder. We've corrected that problem. We now acknowledge and understand that poverty makes parenting harder, and we're not afraid to say that now. I think we need to not be afraid to say that black and white people inhabit very different places in our society and life is very tough for a lot of black people. And I think we need to respect that and I think we need to give them the help they need so that their children can be well and safe. So Brett, I mean, you're also very generous in describing the, the solutions that people are offering to this. I mean, some of the uh, folks that you cite in your paper as arguing uh, that these racial disparities are signs of structural racism, um, also favor simply abolishing foster care and abolishing child welfare. They call themselves abolitionists. What kinds of implications will this have, um, you know, these kind of large-scale solutions that they're proposing for the, the kids that you're talking about? You know, they, they will, uh, in, in the eyes of people who are arguing that, that bias is the reason for these disparities, you know, this will save Black kids from, you know, unnecessary interventions by child welfare. Um, what will it do in your opinion? Well, I think the abolitionist movement in child welfare is, is rather like the abolish the police movement. I think it's a fringe movement. I, I, I hope that no serious person is taking them very seriously. 
And I'm hoping that people will take a deep, deep breath, realize that it's, it's a deeply irresponsible and not very well thought out idea and, and move away from it. With regard to the damage this could do, I mean, black children experience child maltreatment fatalities at two and a half times the rate of white children. They simply have more need of protection. If we were to abolish child welfare across the board, it would hurt all kids in America, but proportionately it would hurt black kids worse than it would help hurt white children. It is, it would be uh, a removal of one of the few protections that these children have in our society. And it would differentially impact poor people and it would differentially impact black people and native American people. Right. But don't these folks believe that it's structural racism that are causing those initial disparities too? Oh, absolutely. They, they believe that institutions in the United States are generally innately and irredeemably racist and that it's not worth trying to fix a system like child welfare because it is so thoroughly infested by, by racism and classism and other isms that it's simply better to devolve these functions to the community. They have very vague ideas about where they want to go in the future, but most of those ideas involve sort of moving down uh, child protection function to an unspecified community level, a uh, neighborhood level, where there would be thousands and thousands of autonomous little neighborhood systems or collectives or something that would deal with this problem. And they believe that would be more fair and more, um, more effective. I can't imagine anything more terrifying. Imagine if you're a child who's very different from everyone else in your neighborhood or your community coming under the guidance of one of these systems. I mean, I would think that would be a recipe for, for tremendous problems. Hmm. One final question I wanted to ask you, there's, um, you know, as you mentioned, you're part of a large group here of researchers who have uh, written this paper. Um, how would you kind of characterize the conversation in the academic field right now um, about these issues? I mean, they're obviously hot button issues across uh, academia. Um, uh, and, you know, you're, you know, really trying to crunch the numbers with your colleagues here. Um, how has this paper been received and how do you feel like the dialogue is going on in the field? There's a really serious issue in, in, in academia with approaching these kinds of questions because very much has happened with the poverty and child maltreatment debate in the 70s and 80s. Academics can be hesitant to address issues which have a strong political side to them because we're really not trained to do that. We're trained to be scientists and look at the numbers and understand how to relate information scientifically. We lack training in how to engage in political and policy debates. And I think we're generally afraid to do that. I think there's also a lot of fear that standing up against the narrative that this is all due to racism may cause other people to view us as being racist ourselves. And so I think the fear of being labeled as a racist is is something that's making it hard for academics to talk out of, to speak out about this. 
Now, I know most of the epidemiologists in, in child maltreatment, most of the top epidemiologists, and I can't think of a single one of them who would turn to me and say, Brett, I think this paper is nuts. I, I think there's a broad consensus among most scientists, most quantitative scientists, um, around the sorts of things we brought forward in the paper. I don't think this is going to shock any, any quantitative scientist in our field. And I'm hoping that as more papers like this come out, maybe people will feel more comfortable in sort of discussing this issue, just like we became more comfortable discussing the fact that poverty and child maltreatment were related. Have you come across any Black leaders who are willing to make that statement? Because it seems like that would nullify at least some of those claims that it's all racist if you had black respected leaders who championed right because ian never gets called a racist (laughs) (laughs) so so again my perspective um it's hard to imagine perhaps how compartmentalized scientists are we we have our spreadsheets and our analysis programs and our data sets and we we work with those uh, uh most of the time there are maybe 20 top child maltreatment epidemiologists, and we suffer a substantial lack of, of people of color generally, and black researchers in particular in our field. So it's, it's very hard to sort of answer that question when the, the, the very unfortunate baseline situation is we just, we have a real serious lack of black scientists in the child welfare um, um, quantitative uh, field. And that's something that I very much hope will be remedied. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for joining us. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get episodes of Are You Kidding Me? on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Brett and team, thank you for a fantastic paper. Thank you very much.